you, Sandy, and thank you to the great worship team um, just leading us so well this morning, isn't it? Uh, my heart is full, and I know uh, just by the way I can hear you all singing, um, your hearts are full too. Just want to let you know one more uh, thing that's of, of great importance is in two weeks' time, not this Sunday, uh, but the Sunday after, this is March the 30th, there's going to be a special church meeting. We just want to let you know that after the morning service, um, we'll be having a meeting. There's just one agenda item on the meeting, and it's uh, to consider the appointment of a senior counsellor for the Mustard Seed Counselling Centre. So we'd just love you to keep that in your mind as well. I wonder whether you ever uh, find yourself in situations where you have to make some choices about what's most important, um, where you have to decide which one takes priority in this situation. I, I find Saturdays often uh, find me in this predicament where I have to decide what's most important because, you know, it might be um, we have a sort of rule around our house that if you're doing the lawns, you have to do the whippersnipping and the blowing and all of it is quite a long job and I have to decide if I'm going to do that, I've got to be able to do every single one of them and then sometimes I've got to think, well, am I going to go and get this thing from you know, a hardware store or am I going to then do that? And as the day runs along, I start to think, now I've got to start to prioritise what's most important. It happens during my days too um, at work. You, know, you think, wow, there are people that uh, I should, should visit. There's a message I've got to prepare for Sunday. There are things I should really talk about with the staff. And, gee, I better prioritise because I'm not going to get them all done. Do you ever have that kind of um, experience when you've got to find out what's, what's the most important thing in your life? For, for perhaps, perhaps for you, you might find it when you uh, know that it's getting further and further away from your last pay packet and you realise that there are more bills or responsibilities coming up. The kids have some activity they need to be at which is going to cost and then you're looking and you're in the, maybe you're in the shopping centre and supermarket and you start to take out things that you put back and you're prioritising what's most important. Or perhaps for you it might be in a relationship kind of thing and, and, and thinking, uh, if I don't do this, this might hurt the person that I'm in a relationship with. And maybe, even though I haven't got much time, what's the most important thing for me to do to help and to serve? We, we can understand it on a Saturday, how prioritising is important. We can sometimes understand it on a day when we get home and feel frustrated that we haven't really got all the things that were the most important things to do. But I wonder whether you've even thought about it in your own life. Uh, what is the most important thing that I could do each day? What's the most important thing in my life? And you might ask, wonder what people would say, you know, who you met down the street... What is the most important thing that should take priority in every day of my life? I wonder, does someone, if you were to meet someone down the street, the average person, what do you think some people might say the most important thing in their life would be? Sleep. Sleep, that's right. <laughs> Preach it, Nate. I can see you need some. I'm going to be watching you right through this message, mate. <laughs> Anyone else? What would someone else might say most important thing? Breakfast, that's right. <laughs> Listening for your tummy too. What, what else do you think? Perhaps they might say, you know, uh, family. 
People might say, uh, you know, bringing up my children well. Maybe people might say, so I could be financially secure, or that when I die, I leave a good legacy behind. I wonder what God would say should be the most important priority in your life and in my life. If there was one, it would be great to know it, wouldn't it? And to understand what it is for us so that we could ensure that when we finished living our lives that we had done the most important thing. I've once heard it be said that how terrible it would be to climb a ladder for the whole of your life only to realise that it was leaning against the wrong wall. (laughs) Wouldn't that be terrible? So this morning as we ask, what is the most important thing? I think it's going to be helpful for us because so often things press in around us. Busyness, sickness, uh, relationship struggles, the pressure of parenting or, 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 or getting our financial goals achieved. And they press in and they can try and grab away at what the most important thing in our life might be. And if we understand that this morning, I think that would be fantastic. I wonder if you could turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. And while you're getting there, I, I, I really uh, feel that as we look at this, to, this passage this morning, I think it really helps us answer what is the most important thing that we can give our time, our energy, our thinking to. Our, it's the most important thing that we could do with our lives. And I think this is what God is saying to you and I this morning to keep as number one. I think there are some key things in this passage in Luke 19 and verses 28 to 41 which really show that when it comes to Jesus, Jesus is king. That Jesus demands ultimate place in our lives. Let's have a a look at the passage because I think in in this passage there are some actions that Jesus does which really points to the fact that he is king and deserves priority in our lives. Look what it it first says uh, here. It says in verse 28, After Jesus said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany, At the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying him, tell him the Lord needs it. And then we're told, those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. They were untying the colt, and the owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. I think the actions of Jesus in this passage are showing, first of all, uh, that Christ is king in his preparation. Jesus has been uh, living his life amongst his disciples and, and publicly, and now he starts to prepare for his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. 
to show that he is king, to say to everyone that he is king. And so what, what he does is he makes preparations. And you can see here, he explains what's going to happen. And we look at this passage and we, it doesn't really say uh, that Jesus had done this because he is Lord and he knows everything and he was able to organise things. And that is all true. Jesus could have organised everything there. And I think it, it doesn't really say whether he had prepared this in advance or whether just because of his sovereign knowledge, he said these things would happen and they did. But Jesus is showing that he's king because he's sovereign. He's organising in advance. He's telling people what will happen when no one knew what would happen. And people are going and finding this colt, this donkey that had never been ridden before, just as Jesus said. His actions are showing that he's king because he's in control and he's preparing for this entry. Jesus' actions also pointed to the fact that he was king because he fulfills prophecy. Look at what it says here in uh, Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, many people would have known Zechariah's prophecy and would have been waiting and looking for a king that would come to Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And Jesus, by actually organising and preparing for a donkey to be taken and brought to him so he could ride it on into Jerusalem, was showing that he was king because he was fulfilling prophecy. So as he rode in on the donkey people would have known that this was a sign that Jesus was declaring himself as king. And look what happens. As he comes in, they brought it to Jesus, the donkey. And they threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When they came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, they shouted. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. What an incredible sight it must have been. Here Jesus had prepared the donkey. Now he comes in fulfilling prophecy and people start to get it. They put their cloaks down. They, they grab palm branches, the uh, parallel passages say. They, they, they start shouting. They start proclaiming him king because they were getting the sign that he was saying, I'm, I'm coming. Jesus is coming. And he's humble, gentle, and riding on a donkey. That's the kind of way he's coming in, not to overthrow the city as a military ruler, but to come in and and be the king who would save them in the most unexpected ways on the Friday. Jesus' actions pointed to the fact that he was king in his preparation, in his fulfilment of prophecy, but also in his power. Do you see what happens here? It says uh, they... They began, the whole crowd of disciples in verse 37 began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Do you get the picture here of Jesus walking, uh, riding on a donkey, 
surrounded by his disciples and throngs of people who are travelling to Jerusalem for the Passover. And before him and behind him are crowds and they start to shout and to, and to praise God. And it says that they're praising him because of the power that he had shown, because of the miracles he had done. And I imagine that Jesus, as he looked off the donkey, he must have looked into the eyes of some of the people that were around him. And I just wonder whether uh, people who, who were looking back at him were so excited and captivated because of what they'd heard. Not so long before, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. He'd been dead for days. He'd been rotting. He'd been stinking. And yet Jesus had came and risen him from the dead. And the, the whispers and the excitement about that, here is one who has come who can raise the dead. They must have been excited as they were shouting and proclaiming him king. I wonder, as Jesus looked out, whether he would have seen blind Bartimaeus, who was just standing by, sitting down by the side of the road, uh, begging when he heard the crowds coming and people saying, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. And as he stood up and said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. People said, keep quiet, keep quiet. And he said, no, no, Jesus, son of David, had mercy. And Jesus heard him right through the crowd and healed him. And I wonder now whether right in this crowd, whether... He was looking up at Jesus, blind Bartimaeus, and praising him because of the miracle that he had done in his life. I just I wonder too whether there were people that had been there when they'd been listening to every word that Jesus had been saying as their stomachs, stomachs got hunger, hungrier and hungrier as they started thinking about the fact they should have had breakfast. You know? <laughs> and Jesus performed this incredible miracle where 5,000 men, not even to mention the women and the children, were fed just through a little small amount of food. And I wonder whether there were people there that said, we were there at the time. Here he comes. He's riding on a donkey. He's king. Praise him. Praise him. You know, I think this passage is just, uh, God is trying to just speak out to us to say, almost with a shout, Jesus is king. Jesus is king. He's sovereign. He is able to just prepare things in advance. He proclaimed that he is king as he rode in on a donkey. And the people there who saw him and acknowledged his powerful work through his miracles said, Jesus is king. What a, what a moment. What a packed uh, procession. And I think uh, what Jesus what God would really want us to know uh, above all else is that the most important thing that we can do with our whole lives is to join those who praise Jesus as king. To join those who praise him as king. You know, there were some that didn't that day that refused to praise him as king. Look what it says here. Uh, after they were shouting out peace in heaven and glory in the highest. It says in verse 39 that some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Maybe they were uh, getting upset at the fact that uh, the people were proclaiming him as king and they were saying, this is not right. We're still waiting for the Messiah to come. This is theologically wrong. You're not the king. Tell them not to. Or whether they were just so loud and exuberant as they waved palm branches, that it was uh, annoying to them. 
But Jesus says, I tell you in verse 40, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. I think what we're seeing here is that when the Pharisees tell him to make the people to stop blessing him as king, he's saying the whole design of the universe is that Christ be praised. The whole purpose of the universe, is of existence, is to bring glory to Christ. As Colossians 1 says, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. If, if they don't praise him, the whole of creation will praise him. And you'll miss out, Jesus is saying. And therefore, if, if people won't do it, he, he can even make the rocks cry out. In other words, he is sovereign. He is Christ, he is the most important one in all of creation that we should praise and worship, the only one. And if we refuse to praise him, the rocks, creation itself, will cry out to him. So they're walking along and they're praising Jesus and they're proclaiming him as king and then all of a sudden... Uh, the whole procession sort of comes to a stop. People at the back must have been going, what's going on up there? What are you doing? Come on. You know how when you're in a group and someone stops and everybody doesn't know what's going on, perhaps they looked up and saw Jesus and perhaps they thought as he was looking now on Jerusalem spread out before him that he was laughing, perhaps they thought, as his body sort of went like this, you know, and maybe they thought that he was just so caught up in the joy of being proclaimed as king. But look what happens. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you on the ground and you and the children within your walls, they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognise the time of God's coming to you. The most important moment, the most important priority for them in God's mind was to worship the king. And they missed it. And as Jesus realised what would happen because he knows and he sovereignly knows, as he looked out on Jerusalem before him, his heart is full of mercy, of grief for those who would not proclaim him as king who would not recognise that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the Messiah who is to be saved, who is to be praised. You know, what Jesus was referring to was in AD 70 when the Romans took Jerusalem using an embankment to besiege the city 
and it was destroyed. And they, Jesus said here, it was destroyed because they didn't recognise Jesus as king. And the following Friday, Jesus willingly, intentionally went to the cross. He wasn't kind of forced there and things taken out of his control, just like he had planned and prepared his triumphal entry. He had planned and was prepared to die on a cross. On the cross, he willingly died and suffered. He took upon himself my sin. He took upon himself your sin. Not a, he became sin for us. He died the death that we deserve so we could be made clean. On Easter Sunday, he rose victorious. He conquered sin. He conquered death. And those who proclaim Jesus as Lord and King have the right to be called his children and the right to be given eternal life forever. And sometimes, in the midst of our busy running from day to day, we can forget that the most important thing in God's heart, in God's mind for us, is that we proclaim him King and Lord. That when we face difficulties financially, instead of worrying and, and wondering what we're going to do and, and then thinking, let's try and fix it all in our own strength, instead of trying to make that as our number one priority, Jesus would say, please don't allow temporal things to take the place of what is the most important thing in your whole life. You who are failing in health and finding it harder and harder to live each day and you start to worry about the future and about what... Don't let your eyes and your priority move from Jesus. He wants to help you in your sickness and in your suffering. He promises to never leave you or forsake you, but to be there right with you in the midst of it. Proclaim him as Lord and King. I wonder if this week you could do something, uh, maybe just for every day of this week, so that when we came in here on uh, Easter Sunday, um, Resurrection Sunday, that we could have been each and every day of the week as we wake up in the morning, just finding a time to say, Lord Jesus, I crown you as king. I crown you as king and Lord of my life. You are the most important thing. You are the most important one, my Lord, my saviour, my greatest uh, authority. Imagine if we did that every single morning of this day, of this week, and then we sought to live it in our lives. Can you imagine what difference it might make in your life this week? And can you imagine what difference it might make in our whole church if, if as we went out this week, we said, Lord, you are Lord of my life. I surrender everything to you. And as I go and as I look for opportunities to invite people to, to come to the Easter service or as I look for opportunities to share why 
my focus is on you or as I look for opportunities to show to my kids that you're my Lord and Saviour, would you be glorified? Can you imagine it? Let's try it. I challenge you every day of this week for a week and let's come back next Sunday morning and see what's happened. Why don't we, uh, as we close, pray together, giving thanks to God who sent his son so that we might know him, we might have him as our Lord and that we we might receive all the benefits, uh, not the least of which avoiding the incredible judgment that came on uh, Jerusalem and that will face all people who don't bow the knee to Jesus in this life. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, this morning we crown you as King and as Lord. We say, Hosanna, blessed are you who has come in the name of the Lord. We crown you as king. We surrender our lives to you. We say nothing is more important in our lives than worshipping you with all our heart and soul and all our mind and all our strength. And no matter what we face, God, this week, whether it's sickness or suffering, whether it's worry about relationships, whether it's worrying about our finance, whether it's worrying about our future, God, we surrender even those things to you. Lord, you're our king. And in the midst of all we face, we will praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.